Welcome to the Tabletop Gaming Magazine podcast. I'm Chris Eckett, the editor of the magazine, and today we're going to join a conversation with Chris McDowell, the creator of Electric Bastion Land and Into the Odd. We talk about Chris's approach to making games, which is mostly breaking them or taking things out. We talk about his new 10mm war game, which uh, we've been watching him stream for a little bit. Um, and we're also going to get his top five tips for making games generally, making RPGs mostly. Okay, here we go. It's I'm not so much a game designer, so much as like a game demolisher, really. <laughs> like, <laughs> I've settled into this now. This is just my thing. I just take existing games and uh, break them to bits. That's it. <laughs> Yeah, that's really good. Well, I think that's um, that's probably like a, quite a good place to start, isn't it? Um, it's, it's a niche. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, like as a as a games demolisher, um, because I think one of the one of the first streams that caught my eye was you doing. Um, it was re- you were reclassifying uh, Bastion Land, literally Bastion Land. Yeah. Um, so, uh, what what possessed you to why why do you go down this route of just smashing things up? <laughs> um, yeah, so it, that was kind of like an experiment because with Electric Bastion Land, um, everyone everyone seems to like the whole idea of the failed careers, like, um, you know, where you get like a, a, I like to think, like an interesting kind of starting point for your character um, and you get like some, some flavour. But I, I wanted to see if you could expand those into like something more like a class that you could progress through. So this this was kind of like putting rules back on where I'd previously taken them off. So this is like kind of a bit of the, a reverse of that. But um, but yeah, I, I think I, I've been doing the streams for about well, about a year now, probably just over a year. And um, it, it seems that the things that people like are those kind of weird experiments a little bit. Like I'll, I'll tend to get more views if I do something that's very kind of prescriptive and it's like, here's like building a dungeon or here is ranking some D D monsters like that's very that if i wanted to be chasing numbers i'd be doing more stuff like that but the thing that actually gets people talking to me seems to be these weird experiments and i think yeah people quite like seeing like behind the curtain of like creativity if that didn't sound quite so pretentious but like like the sort of slightly informal process of like well how do you actually come up with some of this stuff and the fact is a lot of it is from doing weird experiments like this like I think every game that I've ever done has started out as a weird experiment and then turned into, you know, an actual thing or just gotten abandoned. Yeah. I, mean, how well it's gone. I mean, because because Electric Bastion Land is, is just a, a, you know, I say just, that's very rude of me. Uh, it's a, just a rehash. <laughs> it's yeah. a rehash, just a rehash of, uh, of uh, Into the Odd, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, um, um, yeah it, it's, it's, it was basically, um, it's the book that I wanted to happen after Into the Odd, which is... It sounds very obvious, but after Into the Odd, I kind of felt like the the obvious thing to do would have been to release like a supplement book for that. But I, it, it it started out as being a supplement, and then because the rules were so short, I thought, well, it'd be criminal for me to be selling this three hundred page book <laughs> and not include the two pages of rules that you need to actually <laughs> play the game. So I'm like, I've got to put the rules in there. Um, and then, and then from there, it, it, yeah, I mean, it, it, that that was an experiment as well because I originally just thought, well, could I do these failed careers where each each two page spread is like a single background for your character? Um, and then the, the idea of doing a hundred was just a challenge to myself, really, like making it a hundred. And then the idea that, well, if I'm if I'm making all these pages that are going to have a hundred different careers, I need to make that 
worthwhile to people that aren't using those pages <laughs> like there's no point in me saying you use these two pages and then you can rip out those 98 pages and you, you won't switch them again um so yeah the idea of like having the setting be presented through those pages kind of evolved from there so yeah, it, it is kind of like a weird natural process really yeah i think yeah i think you're saying there because it, it all makes so much sense to me now especially seeing your streams where, where you've said uh it was a challenge to do a hundred of them <laughs> kind of you know, yeah like you you know uh did, i mean you may have may as well have said i'm gonna do this all at once uh <laughs> you know for on stream for um for uh four days uh yeah and uh, uh that would make perfect sense to me uh, <laughs> uh but yeah i mean i suppose we should um tell people at home what electric bastion land is hmm. Yeah, so Electric Bastion Land is a um, a very rules light role playing game um, where you are a group of characters that have come into a massive shared debt, um, and all you have is a failed career behind you, and your failed career will tell you about this world that this is all happening in, which is this Electric Bastion Land setting. So. You're probably going to be from the city of Bastion, which is like this kind of early 20th century, um, not quite real city, um, like a sort of infinitely large, sort of urban, weird urban fantasy sort of style, I guess, the kind of the genre. Um, so, yeah, the, the idea with the book was that I wanted to make something that had incredibly light rules, but still had a lot of flavor and a lot of content in there. Um because that was something that I always wanted, because I love these big books that you can kind of get lost in. But I, I don't want to read, like, big paragraphs, and I don't, don't have to worry about lots of rules that you have to refer to in play. But, yeah, that, that's, a, that's a roundabout description of what Electric Bastion is. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I, I, I think it's really interesting. And also, um, I mean, the reason we're talking now is partly because, you know, I think we're up to nearly an anniversary of its release. Is that right? Yeah, so the, yeah, the Kickstarter was in November... 2019 and um so yeah we started i think yeah the books were shipping about now that they were just starting to go out and i I remember um uh it was uh the early lockdown first time round, and uh, it was lovely and sunny and uh we were were going to the park after work every day with my daughter yeah and uh and I'd, i'd take i would take um whatever RPG book I'd been sent that week um but i kept taking electric bastion out because each character um just gives you so much um, in terms of how you can uh, uh, like imagine that world. But I think, yeah. but I think you said to me um, that you haven't actually got it together with a group of real people yet. No, I've not. I've, <laughs> I've never sat down at a table and opened this book to run it. I've, I've played it online with people, um, obviously during the lockdown. And I, I don't think I've even, because occasionally I'll play like a, a one-on-one game with my partner. Um, who obviously is the only, only person I've been able to really see like properly this last year. Um, but I, I don't think we've actually done that together because we've been doing other things. Um, so, yeah, I feel like it's going to be weird the first time I actually sit down with friends and say, because we kind of played it when we were testing it and before it was a real physical book. And they've, they've seen various uh, very rough prototype books and folders and stuff come out. But, um, but yeah, it'll, it'll be, a, it'll be a, a weird feeling to bring it out when it's simultaneously old to me in in some ways because it's been like a year since it's been out but it's going to be like dusting it off again i guess yeah well we're hoping to do that, hoping to uh do that all all of us are hoping to do that very soon we've also mm. got the review coming in the following issue ah cool uh, so uh everyone can uh see what um uh, richard johnson parks thinks of uh thinks of it 
Um, uh, but we all know it's good already. So, um, <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah. So, well, let's come back to the streams and let's talk about making games. Yeah. Because um, I the, re- the reason I reached out to you originally is because this um, this time um, isn't just because um, I like Electric Bastion Land. I want to give it some love. Um, uh, it was obviously. Um, I think we 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 can all agree that um, it was maybe. Uh, Unlucky to come out in the same year as Morkborg uh, in terms of win- <laughs> yeah. winning lots of awards. Uh, that's always it, the, the problem, yeah. Because <laughs> um, obviously that's uh, a bit of a bit of a darling, isn't it? Um, <laughs> so um, yeah, but they just decided that you're sitting down and you you are exposing that raw um, way of creating games uh, because you sit down and it's and the dungeon making one it was paint. You had paint and you yeah. had. Uh, what you refer to as advanced word wordpad or no, <laughs> advanced notepad, yeah. advanced notepad. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. And that's how games are made, apparently. <laughs> and yeah. I think for a lot of people at home, you, it feels like a semi-mythical, magical thing to, for people yeah. to be doing this. And then watching you do it on stream, and it to be as legitimate as the things that are are printed and that I enjoy, and sparking the same ideas in my head. Um, obviously, it's because you are very talented, but but it's just it's just sort of like eye opening to to do that. So, um, could you just talk about like that that weirdly, yeah. I'm going to say lo-fi process? <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, it's it kind of comes from two places. So I I didn't originally plan on necessarily doing like a regular weekly stream, um, but it just so happened that the exact to the week that I went self-employed as a, a full-time game designer. Um, that week was the week that lockdown started. Um, well, it, it was actually, I was, I was due to finish my previous job, which was in the wine industry. Um, and I ended up finishing that a week early because that was the day of lockdown. And they kind of said to me, look, there's no point you coming into the office for the last week. <laughs> like when you're literally leaving and you've wrapped everything up, like, so, you know, finish a week early, basically. So I had a week off thinking, what am I going to do? And then I thought, right, I'm going to start start in earnest. And it was the, the idea of the stream. Um, I had originally planned on doing <clears throat> sort of a, um, like a deep dive into the book um, in podcast form as like a stretch goal, because that's something I've seen other books do. And I've always really enjoyed listening to like the process behind the book. But I thought well, let's try doing a video as well. And I thought I'll just do this as a one-off thing, see if I can get the stream to work. Cause I'm, I'm not especially like tech technologically astute really with like, with like new stuff, like <laughs> new stuff, like streaming. The fact that I called it new stuff tells you everything you need to know. Um, so I, I thought I'd do it as a bit of an experiment, but then I think it became a little bit of an outlet for, um, for not being like working in an office and not being able to because I had all these plans of like I was going to go to co-working spaces and I was going to like sort of meet and chat, meet, uh, meet up and chat with other like people that are doing this and other people that are working for themselves. But obviously I was just kind of at home with my partner who was very busy with her job. And yeah, it, it became a bit of an outlet where it was nice to have that connection with the people that were watching and to feel like feel like you were being heard and to have people asking you questions like live. And, and yeah, the, the lo-fi thing started as just that was as much hi-fi as I could manage <laughs> to be honest with you uh, it wasn't necessarily lo-fi by design it was sort of lo-fi by necessity um based on my computer setup but then I think as I carried on doing it I I did st- start to think well maybe this is quite good because so much of the online 
presence of RPGs uh, nowadays is based around very glossy, very, um, yeah, very professional stuff. I mean, the elephant in the room is like Critical Role. And, but, e- but even if you look for sort of any, any kind of D&D based video on YouTube, like you've got people with like, all these like flashy things and it's all very, it's all very YouTube and very, very like engaging. <laughs> so I thought we need something less engaging. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, yeah so i thought, thought well I, I i can't really do that that's not really what i want to do so but i did just, just, sorry, just to say the your videos are really engaging that's the thing yeah yeah i'm, I'm being quite self-deprecating which is kind of theme with the uh, the videos um but yeah I, I wanted to do it in a different way so i thought well let's let's go with this and let's just be kind of open and transparent and say look i'm going to try and do this experiment it might not work i'm just going to talk you through how i do it and just make it kind of honest and authentic, uh, you know, rather than trying to, rather than trying to fit into what is already considered like what what a video has to be online nowadays, <laughs> if you get what I mean. And yeah, it's it's been fun. So um, so yeah, each week now I just kind of take things one week at a time, and um, I try and sort of follow my muse, if you like, and go with what's inspired me uh, on that week, which is uh, which takes you to some interesting places for sure. Um, so I I really like the dungeon making one uh, for things like um, so for for those who haven't seen the video um, you you sit down and you've got a um, a map of a dungeon with some rooms that have got numbers on them and then you have a word pad open that has a list of numbers yeah. uh, and you you start by just giving them all names names like spooky room and <laughs> yeah <laughs> and things like that which start off as like um, uh, almost silly. I think you make joke. You kind of make jokes about it, don't you? Yeah, uh, or at least very basic ideas. So, like, yeah, the spooky room is a good one. Yeah, and um, just uh, I wonder. I wonder if you could talk about that, that idea of um, just like throwing something at the page like that, and how because it all come. It all came together really quickly. Mm. In the yeah, way. it's it's the whole idea of like the tyranny of the blank page. I think they call it like where like it's the, the starting from the beginning of something is like the hardest thing in the world on like a blank page. So I've kind of, the way that I like to do things, I kind of think of it more like a like sculpting, where you need to put a load of clay down and it doesn't look like anything yet, but it's there. And then you can sort of chip away at it. And the idea is in there somewhere. You've just got to like chip away um, rather than sort of starting with a blank canvas and having to paint very thoughtfully each, each piece. Um, so yeah, the way that this idea works is, like you say, uh, to, to use like the... the um, the dungeon that I just did. Um, I think for like the random encounters, there were six random encounters. So you start with like um, skeleton and then zombie for number two and then like ghost for number three. So very kind of prosaic, basic ideas. And then when you've done all six, you go back to the start and add an unexpected thing to it. So I think we had like skeleton undertakers or something. Yeah. And then um, um, Banshee's having a party. Yeah, so we had Banshee, and then it's like, well, you, there's no point taking Banshee and then adding, like, screaming Banshee, because that's already, like, assumed. Yes. So you need to add a twist to it. So we had, like, um, it was like a Banshee party. It was like celebratory Banshees. Like, they were celebrating a death rather than mourning a death. Um, and, yeah, that that kind of process for me, it, it, it does mean you, you often end up with things that are, like, you definitely end up with things that are, like, twisted. Twists on classics, I guess. Um, so if you want something super serious, it's probably not... An amazing system <laughs> but um if you're willing to have some like weird stuff in there 
Um, but yeah, you, you keep adding these ideas until until it's weird enough, basically. Yeah, I think you also you also said on that stream something like um, uh, you make all you make all the monsters. Um, uh, you make you make it very easy for people to be empathetic with the monsters. Yeah, Isn't and again, that's that's not by design. That's kind no. of a flaw, really, yeah. <laughs> because the amount of times I've run a game and it's just like players walking through a sad dungeon, like being <laughs> sad at all these monsters. So I, I've I, I now know that I have to course correct because that's my default. Um, so I, yeah, you have to make sure that there's some reason why they might come into conflict with these monsters, and um, and that that's the other thing that I try and get across on the stream is like this is this is what I do for me. But it's not so much me saying this is the perfect system for everybody. It's me saying like I've I've arrived at these systems because I know what my sort of strengths and weaknesses are when I'm creating a dungeon or writing a game. Um, so yeah, if there's one thing I want to encourage people to do, it's to sort of really reflect on themselves and like reflect on what they feel they are good at and what they want to lean in on, and especially what things they need to like they need to course correct on. Like I, I joke that I always forget to put treasure in a dungeon, and I've, <laughs> I've done so many games where the players have wandered around this dungeon. Then I've looked around and I thought I've not actually put anything good in here at all. Like this really is just a terrible experience. <laughs> um, and that, now I know better, and that's why there's like a whole page of it in Electric Bastion and saying like put treasure in your dungeon. <laughs> yeah, it's for me as much as anybody else. Yeah, I think when we um, originally spoke about Electric Bastion Land, you mentioned uh, there's the idea of getting players to be or GMs at least, to be more creative um, yeah. through the process of using the book. And I think that was, that came out in that idea of um, uh, similar to creating dungeons, I suppose, but the way the way you suggest people kind of make a um, tube map of a place. Yeah, definitely. And that was the um, that was the big difference between... So when I, when I was looking at this book after I'd published Into the Odd um, through Lost Pages publishing, then I, I sort of thought, well... I don't want to just do it again, but bigger. I do want this to be different. And um, one of the things was that Into the Yard was kind of self-contained in the sense that it had like a starter adventure and it had it had some guidance for like making your own monsters, but it was very, very small. And it was basically kind of like an all-in-one package that you could just run, uh, which was very useful. But <clears throat> I wanted this, I deliberately didn't include a sort of starter adventure in this because I wanted everyone to be able to create their own Things straight off and i wanted to get the gms being creative like immediately um which, which is it's kind of like pushing you in the deep end a little bit but there's there's quite a large section of proceed well it's quite a slim section of procedures really for how to actually prepare your first game um you know everything from put some treasure in there and here's how you create some treasure uh, right through to like you say the whole tube map system which is designed to be very quick and you know i've, I've done example videos of all them and even with me kind of talking through it I was able to create like an entire borough of the city in an hour or an entire section of deep country in an hour. Um, so yeah, it's, it's the whole like teach somebody to fish idea rather than giving them fish. Um, but that's what I've sort of gone for with this book, definitely. And so, and also I think we also spoke about, and I think this goes with the uh, creating, creating uh, sympathetic, but slightly sort of tweaked monsters, mm. like, which is the, the making magical items. Yeah, um, I think because all of the weird objects, the oddities—they are the oddities, aren't they? In yeah, oddities, yeah, yeah, in passing out there, um, uh, they're all just like just quite strange objects, and they're all kind of designed to break the game. I feel yeah, and they were very much sort of um, the inspiration for them was in 
I keep referring to D and D. I think I think the, the game has ended up quite a good distance away from D and D, but you know it kind of started out originally as kind of like a hack of like basic D and D, and kind of moved on from there. Um, but the thing that I always liked about magic in D and D is when you get those things like the portable hole and the like immovable rod, and almost things that you don't need to say anything else. Like if I tell you this is an immovable rod, if you've never played D and D before. You might have to ask, like, well, how, how does it work? You say, well, you push this button and then it becomes immovable. But that's all you need to know. You don't need to know that you need to roll a, a save against this score or it does this much damage. Um, it kind of does what it does. And I, I always liked those ideas because it, it does break the game. And you always hear these horror stories on, like, message boards about people saying, like, oh, well, we created this, you know, we created a nuclear bomb in D&D by putting this the bag of holding inside the portable hole or whatever and dropping it from a eagle and like people say that that's like that, that that that's bad if you're trying to like create the next serious fantasy epic <clears throat> but in in a game like electro bastion where there is kind of a little bit of nate silliness to it it's kind of like a dark humor really um i don't mind things like that so i kind of really lent into it so yeah there's, there's lots of items that just do that the, the golden um the gold standard i was aiming for was something where you could tell what it did by its name, almost. That was that was kind of the yeah, mechanically sort of like mechanically uh, expresses what it does just by just by naming it. Yeah, exactly. Like even if uh, and again, the the thing that I always think about is um, if you imagine talking to a friend who doesn't play RPGs necessarily, and you, they sort of say, "Oh, what did you do last night?" And you say, "Oh, well, you know, played played a role playing game." And I want to create things that happen that you could tell to that person and they would find it entertaining so it's not a case of oh yeah last last night i unlocked the uh, improved grapple ability so i was able to <laughs> um i was able to immobilize this monster so I, they'll stop listening but if yeah. you say like oh yeah i found i mean i'm looking through the uh some of the items now to see if i can find something that's gonna um oh here we go so the first thing i found is one of the items you could start with is a crawling hand okay. that follows basic instructions and has a bad attitude so yeah, you could say, oh, my character—they they found this hand that follows them around, but they're—they've uh, got a bad attitude. Like that's—that's that, going to give them something where they're like, oh, okay, I understand that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, you know what's going on there immediately. Yeah, yeah. I think the, the like that, that's interesting. That kind of um, that's actually like an accessibility argument, isn't it? Really. Yeah. Yeah, and it's and I I wanted to have all those things because a lot or most of these well, in fact, all of these oddities are really. Uh, inside these failed careers that you can roll so they're all kind of there that you could end up with them when you roll up a new character so your level one character might get like the, the example i always use is like a portal gun that's kind of like an equivalent in in electric bastionland and your starter character might have a portal gun um or they might just have like a broken stethoscope it's kind of like the look of the draw but but i wanted to i, I didn't want to bury the lead i wanted to have these things in there straight away and it it does mean that you're probably not going to um, run an Electric Bastion campaign for like six years, like gradually working your way up the power levels. It does kind of throw stuff at you a lot more quickly than that. Um, but I think that kind of speaks to my impatience uh, and sort of the way that I enjoy these kind of games, really. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I personally appreciate that. Um, that's, that's how I like to, to play these things. Yeah. Um, so uh, the, one of the other things you've been doing on stream, which is sort of, I, I feel it's like a deviation, um, just because of how hmm. I know you, um, but you've, you've been making a war game. Yeah, so weirdly over the last year, I've actually ended up making two war games. 
so so I um yeah so I for the last year I've been working on like a 28 millimeter like skirmish game um that's kind of that's that's in quite a good place now and it's hopefully something I'm going to be putting out at some point in the next year or so um and um but yeah that 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 kind of started when I got back into uh, miniatures which was something that I was inter- I was very into miniatures when I was like between about 10 and 15 and then I kind of dropped off and just got more role-playing games with my thing after that um and then obviously during the lockdown as so many people did I kind of thought I'll just buy my I'll buy a little pack of miniatures as a gift to myself for my birthday and some paints and I'll do this because I've got loads of time now so I'll just get back into it and then before you know it you've got loads of stuff and obviously I couldn't just play a game that already existed so I thought well I'll make my own game so I did that and then this year as my kind of equivalent to that is it was it was almost like exactly a year after I'd sort of got back into miniatures I was like I'm in a pretty happy place with where my 28 mil stuff is and I thought I really what I really miss is those kind of big battles because when I got into miniatures originally it was with Warhammer Fantasy battles where it was like big blocks of regiments and you were kind of pushing them and wheeling them around but there's no way that I'm painting like 100 rat men like ever again like I didn't do a good job of it when I was 11 and um I I would say (laughs) I'm less patient now than I was when I was a child probably um so (laughs) I enjoy painting miniatures one or two at a time but I didn't want to do that so I kind of stumbled onto um 10 millimeter scale which is which i think is a mysterious scale it is like i i knew about um obviously 28 mil being like the big standard um really and then i knew about sort of six millimeter epic scale from when games workshop kind of dabbled in that and yeah 10 millimeters obviously being relatively close to six but like a little bit bigger um i kind of stumbled onto that and the main appeal was that i could buy an entire like 30 man regiment for like six pounds nice um and like <laughs> and base them all up and i was like they're so small people won't be able to see my awful painting um yeah, how so do you I, paint kind of, I assume you just paint those by just getting the sp- a spray can and just doing one color and then another color on top for the hats um, you, you do get some little de- i was i was surprised i was simultaneously surprised how much detail i was able to pick out but i also found it a lot harder than i thought i was going to because i thought i could just dry brush and washes on hope for the best but it doesn't quite work because the detail isn't as fine as like somewhere like these plastic 28 mil yeah, you things with them you can just rely on the yeah yeah you can like rely on the texture of the miniature to help you out a lot and you know it kind of i'm not saying it paints itself but the way that i paint them they do kind of paint themselves yeah. <laughs> lots yeah. of dry brushing I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely with you there <laughs> yeah yeah um but then these little ones it's a, they're a little bit more sounds bad but they're a little bit more like old school blobby metal miniatures with like less defined features um so they, they take a little bit more work. But yeah, I've so far I've only painted one base up because um, <laughs> I need to get back. I've got I've got one half done now. So I've got one finished and then another half done. Um, but I thought, yeah, I wanted to see if I could create a very, very simple uh, game that would let me push blocks of miniatures around uh, in 10 millimeter scale on a relatively sensibly sized board for like a regular table. Um, so I, I did what I always do which is see how many rules i can remove from like existing games and uh, see how much i can kind of strip things back i mean can you and, t- are you allowed to tell us where you started um i well i kind of started with um there is a book called um one hour war games by i want to say neil thomas um i may be getting that name wrong um it's on my shelf bear with me yes it is neil thomas um so neil thomas one hour war games 
And that book was what inspired me, really, because uh, his whole idea was um, to see if he could create war games that would play on a, I think it was like two by two foot table. Um, right, okay, quite small. Uh, uh, maybe actually no, I think it was three three by three foot maybe. But yeah, small enough that you could fit on a normal table. Um, with it will play in an hour and rules that fit on, you know, it's it's like this sized sort of digest size book and it, the rules fit on like three pages and that's that's all of the rules. Um, and then he takes those that same core rules and rewrites it for nine different eras throughout history. So the first rule set is like an ancients, uh, like classical era rule set. And for each one, there's only four different unit types. Um, so he has to really, and then he, it, it's an interesting book because he like really goes into the detail of how he explained why, for say, medieval period, how he, what the few little changes he made to the rules and the units to make it feel more like that era. And um, I, I liked that whole approach. And I thought, I, I did try that out, but it was a little bit, I felt, it, weirdly, I did feel like it needed like a few more rules, if anything. Which is like the opposite of what I said. So I've, I've kind of added in places and subtracted from other places because I wanted to make it a bit more quick and impactful because that game is very much like slam your blocks together and flank and then it, you kind of grind each other down a little bit. Um, whereas I wanted things to be a little bit more chaotic. Um, yes. You talk about like power spikes, don't you? Yeah, and just like I, I, it's kind of it's that balance between order and chaos where you want things to be predictable to some extent but then you want like a weird spike to happen where something unpredictable happens and getting that balance right is kind of key um joseph mcculloch who wrote frostgrave has spoken about this a lot where he his game uses like a d20 which everyone shouts at him about and says oh you shouldn't use a d20 because it's too swingy and like you know it's it's too much of a variation and I, i've heard him so many times say that like that's the point that's what he wanted he wanted like the, the that that chance that like you're attack dog might kill this armored knight in like one random thing because like yeah that's what people remember like when you're playing these kind of games like if i want to play chess i'll play chess like i i want something where there's always at least the risk that something uh something crazy is going to happen um so yeah this it's it's just called project 10 at the minute and it's a good example of something where i i kind of started working on it and i felt like guilty about talking about it because i was like well people that are reading my blog and people that are watching my stream they don't care about this but weirdly, like whenever I do talk about these little weird side projects, someone will come out and say, oh, this this looks kind of cool. And like they're in a similar position to me where it's like I've always fancied going back to miniatures. But um, but then I've seen that you've done this really simple game. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dip in and give it a go. And um, so, yeah, now I've just decided that any stupid idea I have, I am going to talk about it because people now know that that's what they're getting when they, <laughs> when they <laughs> my stream or, or go on the on the blog. Um, but yeah, that, that game's in kind of its early stages. It's it's stalled until I get around to painting up the rest of my 10 millimeter um, army. <laughs> but then hopefully I can meet up with some friends and uh, at some point in the next few months and actually uh, actually give it a try on the table. A lot of us are in that disposition of coming back like two miniatures in some way. Yeah, uh, definitely. Because I don't know, it just, it just seems it just seems like something that um, I hear a lot of. I think it's it's completely different than I mean. At the risk of sounding like an old man, um, when I was when I was getting into miniatures when I was like ten, it was like the thing that you know a few other like weird kids at school were into, and um, you know you would buy White Dwarf and look at the stuff that was in there, and you would occasionally go to a games workshop, and but there was no I never really felt like it was a part of any kind of 
hesitate to use the word community but like it didn't feel like you were a part of anything and like there was any kind of social element to it other than like your existing friends um but now one of the things that i think has kept me going is um i i have like an instagram feed that is entirely people's miniatures that they've painted because it feels like such a wholesome um community because it's generally just people posting pictures of miniatures and then other people saying like yeah that looks great and then whenever i do one this this is really vain this is like i feel like a proper like instagram influencer whenever i finish painting <laughs> miniature, the first thing i do is like take a photo of it and i've got like a whatsapp group with some of my friends who used to paint and i'm always like send it to them and then i send it to the discord server that i'm in that talks about miniatures and then put it on instagram and it's just kind of a, and it's, it's not so much me saying like oh look at this amazing top top of the range of miniature but it works both ways it's kind of like we're all kind of sharing our our work together and especially considering we can't play each other at the moment really i think it's it's taken on this much more much more like the craft side of it exactly yeah even even at a very basic level that i'm working at it's a lot of fun just like sharing what you're doing with people and just like knowing that at the same time that i'm painting like one of my mates will text me and say oh i'm, I'm gonna go and crack out the paints too and it just it's just a, a nice feeling really yeah i absolutely agree and also the um the fact that you get uh such positive responses for these sort of things because i've done exactly that just said yeah you know painted this rat or whatever yes it is, you know. um, but sure i've only really seen positive stuff so far yeah um, i've not no one comes on instagram and says oh mate you need to work on your detailing around the eyes like i don't touch wood i'm sure they're out there but um i think i've cultivated my social media presence hopefully enough that they they don't see me so i think one thing we could segue into nicely here uh by mentioning a segue is um a top five tips because we've been talking yeah. about uh making games and all that sort of thing uh and uh, i asked you to bring it bring me top, your top five tips for yeah. uh, making some games uh, yeah so um so i thought about this um throughout the week and i sort of got this down to five how uh, many it, it, of course you're going to remove them Oh, yeah. this, well, is your, this is your yeah, this exactly. was your top 10 rules and you're gonna remove five of them of course that makes sense yeah it, it was it was actually quite straightforward five is quite a nice natural number for them really because it kind of follows it from the start to the end not not quite the end because the end of the process is the bit that i still struggle with um i'm very good at getting projects up to about 80 percent and then getting distracted by something else but um but i can yeah i can help up to that point um so the, the first tip that i had was um to make the thing that you want to have so I I wouldn't ever want to do a design where I was sort of looking at Board Game Geek, board game geek and seeing, oh, Roll and Write is really popular right now. I should do a Roll and Write game. Or say like, oh, this, this theme, or, or, or identifying a gap and saying like, well, no one's ever done this before. I should do that. Um, I think that the most successful things that I've made are games that I want to like play at the table. And, and, and that, that need isn't currently being catered for, for whatever reason. So, so into the odd being an example, I, I thought, well, I like all these rules-like games, and I like all these games that have a lot of flavor, but there aren't many games that are doing both. They tend to be one or the other. Like They tend to be just a very generic, rules-like, clean, elegant system, or this big, messy thing, which I, I can both enjoy in their own way, but could I put them together? And that, that's what I did. This is sort of like the, the advice to just um, just homebrew something. Yeah, definitely. I think everything just starts as a homebrew, really. I think if you if you if you go into it looking at it as like making a product, and again the caveat here is that uh, I am like a professional game designer, believe it or not, for a year. But um, uh, I, I understand that if you are if you are working for a large board game uh, producing company, um, you probably do need to start thinking about products. But, <laughs> but if if you are just looking at getting into it, then I think 
I think, yeah, think of it as a homebrew and think of, think about it at your table before you even begin to think about how can I sell this and how can I monetize this thing? Um, number two I had is um, start with a hack. So like I said, most of my games start from a place of someone else's game. And I hope nobody else is going to object to this because I don't object to people using my game as starting points. And, you know, lots of that. There's lots of people that have done that and have taken like into the art and run with it. And they'll tell me like three years later, oh, this, this game was really inspired by into the art. And I look through it and I think, well, I, I can't see that because like <laughs> it changed so much. Like it's cool. Um, but, um, but yeah, if you start, start with something that is close to what you want and then, make sure that you're changing enough of it that you're not <laughs> not causing problems um basically um because i think if you if you do try and start from scratch you're kind of like reinventing the wheel to some extent you're trying to like you, it's like when you i'm going to use a really good analogy here it's like if you're making no, nobody makes puff pastry everybody buys a pre-made puff pastry because that's it's a solved thing like we've sorted it like you go to the supermarket and you buy a block of puff pastry and you roll it out and then you worry about the filling and stuff. That's fine. Nobody's going to ask, did you make this pastry yourself? And it's not a perfect analogy because by here, I think you, you do want to change it up enough that you don't necessarily recognize it from its original source. But but yeah, don't don't worry about creating something from scratch if you can just start with something that already exists. I think I think that's really I think that's really good advice because uh, when I've thought about this, when I've just dabbled with the idea of these things, it's always just like, yeah, I'd nick that bit from there because that just works, right? I'd nick yeah, that, yeah. That, that combat system or whatever it is because it's just like played that that seems fun yeah yeah and chances are when you do put these things together they, they probably won't quite work 100 percent. so you will probably end up changing that thing like and you'll probably change it just enough that it all comes together and feels different um so yeah i want to make it clear i'm not just saying like make a hack of an existing system like that that's the thing you can do that or you can just make house rules for something that already exists but um but i think a lot of good games do start from that point there's a cole whirly quote it's just engraved in my brain or a little story where he said he, he was playing um i think it was ride the rails or something like that it was a some kind of train game um and uh what one of and he he likes to do this thing where he tests games and he plays them for one turn too many so it takes you oh, again yeah. and so if it's meant to have five rounds play for six mm. and see what happens and the answer is for most of them is like they break um, yeah. obviously because they're sort of <laughs> engines that get really hot um, I think that's like uh, uh, I think that's like a really good place to start isn't it just try and break something yeah well that, that's funny enough that's my third oh. uh, <laughs> it is uh, is to test early I would say I was not supplied these tips beforehand <laughs> well no no it's, you, you've got to step further and like yeah test it until it breaks is definitely a good a good way to go and like try and break it but I think um, I, I see a lot of people like almost worrying about testing it and i think as long as you preface you know your friends aren't going to want to come around and necessarily just be your um be your like um what's the word i'm after like focus group um yeah focus group they don't want to come around and be your focus group like for free i'm sure um but like if, as soon as you get something to a point where you can like literally complete the game like you've, you've got the you've got the sequence to do the turns and you know it's going to last this many turns and this is what you want to do just print out a dummy copy and like test it yourself or test it with if you've got one person that doesn't mind helping you out um just test it as early as possible because without fail the first test always reveals something like massive that i've over <laughs> overlooked um where you're like oh yeah that that just completely ruins the entire game um so you need you need to take that out and um and yeah i think too much it, it's, it's easy to think of play testing like focus groups where yeah 
you, you could think oh well if i play test it too much am i like watering it down and making it like designed by um designed by committee sort of thing but the key thing to remember is just because you're doing testing and people are telling you things that you don't have to like do everything that people say mm-hmm. um uh, as kind of a, a side note to this um there's a lot of good articles out there about how to do effective play testing but the one thing that i really like is telling the people that you're testing um very early on and that they'll still do it but tell them not to suggest solutions to you um tell them to only come to you with problems because i i still do it's like i tested a, i tested a game with a friend and he literally sent me like um he was like oh you, you could do it this way and like we were chatting about it i was like oh yeah that's cool some cool ideas and then like later that day he sent me like a word document that was like <laughs> oh you could do this you could rewrite it this way and i'm like you've just designed your own game like just <laughs> You go and do that if you want, but I'm not like rewriting my entire game. <laughs> and like his suggestions were good, but I think wait, for me as a designer, I think it's more useful for me for you to just tell me, um, tell me like, oh yeah, the end game felt a bit boring, or you could say, yeah, there was a point where I had like I had three options and none of them seemed good and it was a bit frustrating. Like just very straightforward, experiential things, and then you can kind of build a picture and come to your own solutions. I think is uh, is is how I prefer to do it, and I think. I think that's perhaps a more effective way than having six different people tell you their proposed fixes to the to the system. Um, and then my fourth pick uh, was something that I like to do a lot, which is um, limitation breeds creativity. So a, a good example of this is very often with rules, I will, I have a kind of, I, I wrote kind of like when I started working on games full time, I wrote like a, um, I called it a manifesto, which sounds very grand. I was, I was waiting for that word to slip out. Some there. people took it seriously, I think, and I, I really, I kind of regret it because it makes me sound like a very pompous that I have a manifesto. Um, but that's the problem with like dry humor online is it doesn't always uh, <laughs> translate. But the actual content I do agree with. Um, and the, the thing that I had was um, um, if I'm going to find the actual. Um, yeah, there we go. So one of the limitations that I set for myself is that if if everything you need to use at once doesn't fit on a two-page spread, then it's too complicated. And if a concept can't be expressed as a short set of bullet points, then it's too unfocused. Um, so these are like limitations that I set on myself. Now, I'm not saying these should be like universal rules for every game ever. But for the type of game that I like to make, um, just by doing that, um, and often I do try to like to get all the rules on one page. Um, it does mean you end up chopping a lot of rules out and it forces you to make every rule. Every rule has to um, justify its place. A little bit like I said with that one one hour war games book. Uh, th- one of the reasons I found it really interesting is that he set this really arbitrary limit where for every era there was only going to be four different units. So he, ha- he has to say like, look, I know that there would have been, I don't know, th- there might have been heavy cavalry and light cavalry in this time period but I could only include one and here's why and here's how I represented it. And he's, he's sort of made it work for every era. Um, and it just forces you to get down to what's really important and prioritize, you know, prioritize. So you haven't got like a muddled, a muddled game that sort of tries to do everything at once. Um, so yeah, set, set yourself some limitations, um, and sort of embrace that kind of challenge, if you like. Just come back to that um, particular bit from from your uh, very serious manifesto. You, yeah. def- you definitely didn't mean any sarcasm. Um, uh, uh, the the idea of um, everything could be expressed in bullet points, and uh, 
simplifying things just sounds good for as a reading experience (laughs) well yeah again that it's i'm I'm such a selfish designer because i'm really bad at reading like paragraphs of text like i just can't i I don't know if i'm getting worse as i get older but like i'll I'll just read a paragraph and then i'll think i haven't taken that in i've just kind of glossed over that um and you know i I could work on that myself and try and improve my own (laughs) reading like and retention um but i thought well there must be other people like me that have this problem and find it kind of hard work to read these these big paragraphs of text and um and yeah so so i I did kind of design a lecture bastion and with those bullet points very selfishly we once on twitter asked um what's what's the thing you'd improve about rule books or something like that Hmm. i think it was james wallace replied and he said every every game rulebook including rpgs could be improved by making it spiral bound and having tabs along the edge so you can find <laughs> things quickly while playing and that's he's sort of right you know yeah i, I did look at spiral bound for electric bastion land but the, the problem that you have is that they're not very sturdy that's the kind of that's the issue at the moment so i'm sure there are ways around it like you can get like i can't think what it's called where it's like a, almost like a mini ring binder yes um, <laughs> um the, the future of rpgs is uh file of axes uh, yeah oh that would be ideal you can like <laughs> pop them in and out yeah yeah uh, that's actually i think that's actually a brilliant idea <laughs> well i think didn't like um i think D tried that with the monster manual in second edition that was like a ring bound thing and i think i don't know how i don't know whether that got a good response um i think i think people do and i'm the same i think i i am drawn to like the big hardback book mm, it, yes. it is like a weird thing so I, I don't know point. if someone released a spiral bound book would i perhaps feel a little bit yeah, you, I don't know. Yeah, you might feel a bit cheap about it. I actually, um, I, I totally agree with like the prestige of the big hardback book. Yeah, but I do, I do wish um, nearly all books were slightly smaller. Um, yes, yeah. in some way, um, but it's, it seems to be just an industry standard. That's it. And the the thing is, like, because um, I, th- th- I did look at softback, but I think hardback is easier to get it to lie flat. Is the, is the well. finding factor at the end? So, like, when the, the the first thing that I the thing that I asked the printers so many times before the books were sent was I because there, there were different types of like binding and one of them was at the, the life flat binding and I was like I definitely want that one and um I asked so many times like can we please make sure that it lies flat because I'll be so disappointed if it comes and it's one of these books that just like yeah, snaps shut because yeah, back up yeah yeah um, yes. <clears throat> uh, and we we've run down a rabbit hole here <laughs> oh yeah um, so I'll get us back on track with our, uh... yeah. So my final one was to embrace the mutation is the way that I phrased it. Embrace uh, the mutation. What I mean is, um, I think when you go into creating a game, um, you might have like a really solid idea of what you want to create. And you might even be able to picture it in your head, like as a finished thing. But as, as you kind of do play testing and as you pick up other bits of influence as you go, um, the game is going to shift in ways that you hadn't necessarily expected um, and it is going to move away from like that initial idea. And I think that is where a lot of the good things really happen. And that's where you get a lot of the things that a lot of these things that kind of grow organically as you're making the game often end up being like the best bits of it, I think. Um, so, yeah, I would say rather than trying to like keep on beating yourself up for going off track, I would embrace that mutation as long as you're still happy with the direction that it's going in yeah. as long as it's still the same game uh, and, and, yeah or you don't suddenly um, you've started to write um you know naval combat rules in your uh your rpg or whatever um, i don't know maybe that maybe, maybe that's that, actually i don't know maybe that's the crossover that's waiting to happen <laughs> yeah <laughs> 
Um, but yeah, I, I, I think that that kind of it, it's the organic nature of it that I think works for me. I think I think you can sit in a room and try and write a brilliant game, but I think the real the really good games kind of grow out of that organic thing of like testing it and um, sort of changing it as it kind of changing it at the table almost. Um, well, thank you very much, Chris. For, uh, no, no worries. Thanks for, for having me. For your uh, your sage advice uh, for coming on as well. Um, I can't guarantee this is great advice, but it's 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 it's, it's advice I would give myself. <laughs> um, so, uh, where can people get Electric Bastionland? Um, so you can get Electric Bastionland at bastionland.com. Um, it's currently available in hardback and uh, in it's on PDF through itch.io and Drive Through RPG as well. Uh, and uh, where can people find you? Uh, so bastionand.com has all of my things, so that's that's where the blog is. Uh, it also has the links to um, the uh, video content that I do, the uh, podcasts, and the Patreon, if you're that way inclined. Lovely stuff. Well, thank you very much. No, thank you.